All right. Um, the title of the message, I don't know if you made it. Yeah. What makes your heart come alive? Um, I want to start with a, a quote by John Eldridge. I don't have it on the board. I'm just going to read it. Um, but he wrote Wild at Heart. Um, if, I don't know if you Well, the, the church gave it to me, so I assume a lot of people read it. Um, but the quote is, If you had permission to do what you really wanted to do, what would you do? Don't ask how. That will cut your desire off at the knees. How is never the right question. How is a faithless question. How is God's department. He is asking you what is written on your heart. What makes you come alive? So, yeah. So for those of you who don't know me, <laughs> I'm Eric. And like Mark said, I'm a missionary scholar. I was there for about three and a half years. Uh, we're going back in two days, which is completely crazy to me because it's been months and months and months of praying. Um, but during my time in Scotland, um, just to share a little bit of the fruit that, that this church has planted into in me and just for the future, and kind of to share a little bit about what makes my heart come alive is, uh, is world missions. Um, and during my time in Scotland, you know, I've, I saw people healed. I saw legs grow. Um, I saw or I met a lot of people in Turkey, a lot of Muslims in Turkey who, or I should say former Muslims in Turkey, who uh, met Jesus face-to-face um, and came to Jesus because he met them in dreams or he met them in visions. Um, and I was there to, don't want to bolster myself up at all, but I was there to help encourage because in Turkey there's not a lot of Christians. It's the most unreached nation in the world, 99.9% Muslim. Um, but it was just being... You guys are a part of that, of these stories of going out and and praying for people and seeing legs grow and encouraging Christians in hard, hard nations um, that are persecuted. So I just wanted to share that with you as well. Um, so that's what we're called to do. We're all called to make disciples. So I want to put up the first... Um, verses. We're going to start with the Great Commission because it's in my heart and what God has spoken to me is that we're all this is the Great Commission for the church. So let's, I'll read it out now. So it's uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the part I want you to listen to. Go therefore, well, that was really loud. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always into the end of the age. I want to be a little bit of a, a little bit challenging, actually. Um, This verse says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The church is called to make disciples. We're not called to bring people to... We are called to bring people to church, but we're not called to bring people to church because it's Mark and Kara and Brad and Kendra's job to make them disciples. It is our job as individual Christians, as disciples of Jesus, to make disciples, other disciples, to make other little Christs. So I want to encourage you with that because I think sometimes we, as Christians, we have... We're a bit hung up on the salvation bit, um, which is 
it's amazing to see people come to Jesus. Um, I love seeing people come to Jesus. That is, that is part of the Great Commission, bringing people to Jesus. But that's just the beginning of, of Christianity. That's, uh, our job is to bring people to the, the cross, see Jesus, repent, and the cross is just the opening to the great banqueting room. Um, I'll, I'll uh, elaborate a little bit with the banqueting room. So there was um, there's a famous evangelist. His name is Reinhard Bonnke. Um, he uh, had a, a bit of an analogy um, of Christianity and what we're leading people into when it, when we lead them, when we disciple them. Um, so in his his analogy was that in religions all over the world the person who is following the deity, their job is to bring things to fill up the Father's table, to fill up their deity's table. They bring works. They bring things to offer their their God. But in Christianity, it's the opposite. Our Father fills the banqueting table. It's His banqueting table, but we get to partake of it. Um, and to make disciples... That is to reveal to the to the people or to your your friend your disciple um, to reveal different aspects of God's character as it pertains to His banqueting table. So there's good good stuff over here. Let's bring them over here. This is all from God. There's good stuff over here. We uh, yeah, that's what uh, bringing pe- discipling people means. Yeah, to uh. Yeah, let's bring that one. Um, yes. One question. Sorry, one second. Um, yeah, so I kind of wanted to give some examples of people who said yes to Jesus when he said, I am calling you to disciple the nations. Um, and since Katie and I are going to Scotland, I decided to give a few examples that come from that that time and that era, the history of Christianity in Scotland. But actually, I'm going to start with with Ireland. So how many of you know who St. Patrick is? He's the the patron saint of getting getting drunk. Um, No, so, but that is really what, as Americans, that's kind of, or even as Irish or Scots or English, their their image of St. Patrick is, St. Patrick's Day is drinking and getting drunk and having a good time, losing all inhibitions. But St. Patrick's was, was actually a pretty uh, crazy Christian. Um, and by crazy, I don't mean crazy. I mean, like, radical. He, uh, he Actually, when he was 16, he was uh, he's, he's actually an, English, an Englishman. Um, at 16, he was captured by Irish pirates and sold into slavery. And he was a slave in Ireland for six years. During that time, um, he spent time as a shepherd. So he was basically the lowly of the low. The shepherds aren't very aren't looked at upon very good in those days. Um, yeah, it was just a dirty job. But in those times, he he uh, he met with God, and God met with him. He studied the Bible. He studied. He started studying scriptures, and and he came to Jesus. Um, and he had a vision, and the vision said that he was going back to England, and he was excited, so he went back to England, 
make a long story short. Um, but when he was in England, he he had a call back to Ireland. He had a vision where um, a man came to him and gave him a bag of notes. And on the, the heading of, the, of one of the notes he read was, A Voice of the Irish. And I'll skip all, all what it said, but the main part it said, um, And they cried out, as in one voice, We appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. So this guy could have been like, No, like this this is the nation that enslaved me. This is the nation that that treated me horribly, barbarically. But he said yes. God gave him a vision and he said yes to God. Because of that, he completely transformed the nation of Ireland. He has his own holiday now, even though, yeah, we don't really celebrate what he really did. Um, but he completely changed Ireland. And actually, he changed Scotland as well. Because one of his uh, disciples, that not directly, but a few generations later, um, his name is St. Columba, and he is... Uh, he studied under the St. Patrick's um, like abbey, I guess I should say. But he uh, he had a calling to Scotland. And in that time, you know, Scotland was kind of a crazy place. There was people groups called the Gales, the Picts, and the Celts. Um, now, the Picts were probably the, the craziest of the, the bunch. They were these guys, they would paint themselves blue, um, and into battle, completely naked, and fight very ferociously. So ferocious that um, during the, the time of the Roman occupation of Britain, the, the Roman emperor built a wall to keep the Picts out of, of the Roman Empire, which they had, the Rome had already taken all of, all of England, all, of, all that was south of this wall, but they had trouble with, with the Picts, which I think is kind of cool and kind of, it kind of uh, talks about how how crazy Scotland is and how independent and completely um, not wanting to be a part of craziness that they are, or not being a part of England, um, even though they are now. But yeah. So so Columba, this guy, he had a vision of making his home among the Picts and the Celts and the Gaels. He went to Scotland, and he is the the man who is greatly credited with the spread of Christianity in Scotland because he said yes to God and said, I want to make disciples of these crazy barbarians who paint themselves naked and are known for incredibly merciless killings. And then you hear about people like Scotland from Scotland called David Livingston. I don't know if anyone who doesn't know who David Livingston is. He is a um, a Scottish explorer slash missionary, um, and he is credited with one of the largest revivals in Africa in the 1800s. In fact, there's a, a few places I forget which country it is, and I, I know there's some people in Scotland that would kill me for not remembering, but there's there's a few um, countries that have Livingston. Is their their like capital cities or, or cities there because he had such a great influence on on Africans and Christianity in Africa and actually 
Um, he was one of the major parts that why they destroyed slavery in the UK. Um, in fact, he's he was so great, such great influence that he's buried at Westminster Abbey, which only like the high high Brits are, are buried. So he was pretty cool. But then there's also people um, who said yes to God. Um, in a, so there's a, there's an island in Scotland called the Isle of Lewis, and it is northwest of the mainland. And they had a revival in 1949. And three people are directly involved with this. There was one man called Duncan Campbell. He was a, just a minister in Scotland, and he he got there because he heard that this revival was starting. But this revival started because two 80-year-old sisters, who all they did was speak Gaelic, um, just on their knees every day prayed for revival, and it happened. Um, and this revival, like, if you want to, you should look up some of this stuff, because it's crazy. Like, they were, people would just be walking down the street where the revival was happening and just fall on their knees and start repenting because the presence of the Lord was so strong that they they couldn't help but, but repent and, and come to Jesus. Not even meeting anyone and hearing anything about God, Jesus met with them there on the street. Stuff like that. And that just came from two 80-year-old women who really had a desire to see the nation of Scotland changed. And and they're, again, a huge part of, of Scotland changing. Um, so I hear... I'm going to move a little forward now because I hear stories like this and I get a little... I start to feel down on myself or I start to feel, oh, my calling is not that crazy. Like, I, I hear of monks up in northern Scotland who would... The slave ships would come and they would sell themselves into slavery. They would buy the freedom of a slave by by giving themselves over in slavery because they wanted to show the love of God to a person to the slaves so much that they were willing to be slaves. And that, I hear stories like that and I'm like, man, all I want to do is like have coffee with some guys and be like, hey, Jesus loves you, man. <laughs> like, I, f- I feel really condemned, you know? Um, but I, I'm going to say another thing that's pretty harsh. I want to say that, that comparing our, our calling to other people's callings is sin. When we, when we look at our calling, when I look at my calling and say, okay, I want to have coffee with people and say, Jesus loves you, I say, oh man, that is not as good as selling myself into slavery. Like, I'm, I'm, wor- I'm like my calling is worthless. That's disagreeing with God. And that's saying, God, what you have for me isn't good enough. And that's, what God has for us is good enough. <laughs> and what God has for us is, is radical. And I think it's Satan who tries to, not think, it is Satan who tries to to tell us, you know, you're not good enough. Your, your calling isn't good enough. Your, your calling isn't Mark Harper's calling. So why even try? And because of that, I think, I think that's led to a, lar- a large part of why Christianity is dying in the West, is where, where we compare ourselves to, to people like Reinhard Bonnke or Mark or, um, uh, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham, and we we just don't feel good enough. But again, that's not biblical. Right. So let's uh, look at First Corinthians 12. I'll start with uh, verse 17, and I'll kind of skip around because this is a 
the verse I wanted to do was really long, and I was like telling Katie about it, and she's like, babe, that's too long. <laughs> Just basically reading the whole Bible to you guys. Um, so we'll start with verse 17, 12, 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? We'll skip down to 21 and 22. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And we'll skip down to 25 and 26. That there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. And it's, yeah, I've always looked at these verses and I'm like, yeah, that's 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 all that's all good. And but you know, it's so it's so easy to to compare yourself. It's so easy to be to say, you know, I'm not my calling isn't as good as that. Or even, I feel called to to on my knees and pray every day for revival. But I feel I want to preach. You know, like it, it's so easy to compare yourself. Um, and I actually do want wanted to do another story of the Bible. Um, it's also about comparison. Um, the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus entering their house, and Martha being a busybody, and Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. So we'll go to Luke 10:38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need for only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. Now, I mean, there, there's a lot to get out of this verse or out of the, this passage. Um, and it's it's great, you know, to not to... The traditional view of this verse is um, don't get yourself bogged down with tasks, but get yourself in line with Jesus, which I completely agree with and I think is amazing. And it's a great, great thing to get out of this verse or out of this passage. But I want to... I, I heard... Um, a different perspective on this passage that completely changed how I viewed it. Actually, I didn't, in fact, before this, I didn't really... I liked this this passage, but it wasn't my favorite. And now I think it's actually one of my favorites in the in the Bible after, after hearing a little bit of a different perspective. So yeah, we traditionally see see Martha in, in the kitchen, literally, you know, cooking up a storm for Jesus. And Mary not helping, just sitting on the floor listening to Jesus talk. Um, but there's actually a growing number of scholars and theologians who have it a, look at it a little bit differently. So a lot of scholars believe that Martha and Mary were um, they were church leaders in, in Bethany. They, uh, they had a house church. In fact, it says in... in um, Figure which verse this is. So 38, it says, A certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Um, and they, a lot of scholars 
and historians are saying that you know these 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 two women were leaders in ministry. Um, they had a ministry in Bethany, and they um, yeah ministered to a lot of people. And they also say that that Mary um, had gone off and become a disciple of Jesus. So Mary left their their ministry and decided to follow Jesus herself um, and be a disciple. One of the probably 72, probably not, definitely not one of the 12. Um, but in fact, if you if you look at um, the word for tasks in this this verse, um, it's translated from the Greek word diokonia, um, which is related to the word the the verb diokonian. I can't really say it well, but yeah. Um, and they're used throughout the New Testament to refer to both domestic service and Christian ministry. And the word deacon comes from this Greek word. So a lot of scholars are saying Martha was a not a deacon, but a, a, a ministry leader in in uh, Bethany. And they're also, they also say, because I don't want to say this, being I don't want to say this is the the truth, because we I don't know, but hearing this is is pretty cool. Um, but they're saying that Mary wasn't literally sitting at Jesus' feet in the house. Um, it's a it's another way of saying, the language that they're using is a way of saying um, learned under or studied under. Um, in fact, Paul in Acts 22.3 refers to sitting, brought up, being brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, who was, his, who was the person he studied under, who he was a disciple under. Um, so 22.3, Acts 22.3 says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, um, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God just as you are today. So when you look at, when you look at the, this passage from this lens, you see it's a story about comparison, about my ministry is different than that their, that person's ministry. Why isn't that person a part of my ministry? And why does that person get to do um, a different ministry than me? And I think that in that, we need to remember that about the whole passage in, in 1 Corinthians that says, you know, a hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, or I can't say to that ear can't say to the eye, I, can't, I don't need you. Because we're all called to our own calling. We all have our own calling. We all have our own people group that we're supposed to disciple. Whether that's in Papua New Guinea, whether that's in an office building, whether that's in a Starbucks, whether that is on your knees every day praying to Jesus that revival will come. That is your calling. And and you're supposed to do your calling. You're not supposed to do Mark's calling. You're not supposed to do Brandon's calling. You're supposed to do your calling. And that's what Jesus was telling Martha. You're doing your calling. Mary's doing her calling. In fact, let me just go back to that real quick. It says, there's, no, there's only one thing. There's need only one thing. And Mary's chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen her calling, or she has said yes to her calling. She has chosen to say yes, and you can't take that away from her. That's the better. That's better to do what you're called to than do a ministry that you're not called to do. Yeah.
I just wanted to also say that I really like feedback, so thank you for feedbacking. Like, yeah, that's good. Amen. That's what, I love hearing that. Yeah. Um, I like yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Um, there we go. So, that the question is, how do you find your calling? I think that, so, I don't know how much you guys know about YOM. Um, it's called Youth of the Mission for a good reason, because there's a lot of youth. There's a lot of 18 to 23-year-olds that come and do a thing we do called Discipleship Training School, um, which is three months of lectures and three months of outreach. Um, and you meet all these, I'll say kids, because I'm 29 now, and it's, it, you you can you can see how, how, how much people need to, to grow. Not in a bad way, but... Um, but yeah, so you see all these kids, and that's the number one question people are asked. What's my calling? Usually the last week of DTS is um, Vision, Calling, and Destiny Week, which I think a lot of people get really excited about because like, I know what my calling is going to be now. I know um, what, what God has for me now. And I'm going to say that your calling is making disciples. And I know that's not an answer a lot of people want to hear. But because people want specifics. Um, but I think the only way to really understand or really get specifics is to talk to God daily. Having time with God and having time in the Word and having time praying and conversing with God, that's, that's how you get your calling. Um, but also, like John Eldred says, what makes your heart come alive? And I think a lot of people, as a missionary, you always hear, I didn't want to be a missionary to Africa, but then God said, I like laughed at your plans and he sent you to Africa anyway. And I I don't disagree that that happens, but I disagree that God is going to send you somewhere that you don't want to go or God's going to send you a people group you don't want to go. Um, he'll change your heart. Um, I Quick example, I didn't want to go to Turkey when I was in in, uh, in Scotland, I was afraid of Muslims. I was afraid that I was going to be arrested for preaching Jesus. Um, but God completely changed my heart. Um, and my heart came alive at, before going to Turkey because I asked God. I spent time in prayer. I spent time with God, and he changed my heart. So I don't think that we need to worry about telling God, I don't want to go there. Um, He'll give you a heart to, to, to what you have, or what he has for you. Um, it's, I think it is simple, actually. Um, so a little example from, from my life besides Turkey. Um, what makes my heart come alive and how I knew I was called to Scotland um, was meeting people like my friend Keith. He is this big Scottish, Scottish guy. He wears a kilt every day. There are people that wear kilts every day in Scotland. Um, and he... <laughs> they're comfortable, in case anyone's wondering. They're very comfortable. But uh, he wears a kilt every day. He uh, he grew up very pagan. He in, in Scotland, there's actually a lot of pagan and ancestral worship and a lot of, like, witchcraft. Because um, there's a lot of spiritual bad stuff that happens in Scotland. Um and this, this guy, my friend Keith, he grew up in that stuff, and he had tattoos everywhere that are from Blade movies and, like, witchcraft symbols on his tattooed on his body. 
But my heart comes alive when I go to his baptism and see him baptized in November in the northern sea, (laughs) freezing cold, and coming out and holding a sword up and dedicating his life to Jesus again and telling everyone he knows about God. That's what makes my heart come alive. In fact, one of my friends in, in Scotland, who's actually Swedish, he he had a vision of of um, Al-Qaeda. He had a vision of someone standing there worshiping Jesus, and Al-Qaeda was pointing an AK-47 at the person's chest. And my friend in the vision said, God, I, I want to see this happen, but how... Who, who's brave enough to, to see, to, to preach to Al-Qaeda, to preach to radical Muslims? And God told him, my brave heart Scots are brave enough to, to reach Al-Qaeda. They're the ones that are, that are, that are brave enough to, to not be afraid of death, but to be so passionate for God that they'll change the nations. And that's what makes my heart come alive. And that's how I know Scotland is where I'm called. And I think, and I actually know, actually, I don't want to say think, because I know that every single person in this room, that if you were to sit down and really think about what your passions are, what makes your heart come alive, you will, you will start to discover what God has for you. You'll start to discover um, where God is calling you to make disciples. Um, just an encouragement for that. Let me see. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I uh, think I kind of, I want to end it there, but I want to end it with a time of prayer. Um, and a time of prayer, I think personally, I think every one of us has has to do some business with God tonight. I, I don't know about everybody, but I think some of us have to do some business with God tonight. And so I think I want everyone to close their eyes and I want you to ask Jesus, um, you know, where, where does my heart come alive? Or ask him to reveal to your heart where, where it comes alive. Um, and we'll spend, a, we'll spend a couple minutes just talking to God and, and asking because we, we serve a God that, that speaks.